It's all about conversation, sharing stories, community to community, arrow.net, A-R-R-O-E.net. We are unplugged and totally uncut with NBA coach Ray Scott. Well, I'm doing the best I can do, my friend. <laughs> well, you have done a lot is what you have done. I, I, I love the idea that NBA in black and white is being released because there, there are so many times that I believe that the NBA is so focused on its future that we have forgotten about its past. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you. And I just spoke to some gentlemen that were, they were in a city I love, but I'm speaking to a gentleman that's in another city I love. I love Charlotte. You do? Yes, I do. And what, what I, is it? What is it about the city? And what it was the it was the staple of insurance companies for black people back in the 50s and 60s. Oh, wow. They had insurance companies that started selling insurance to African-Americans. And that was a big thing, big thing, because even just for burials, it was a big, big thing back at that time. And I never forgot that. I never forgot how that served our communities. And that made me think of Charlotte very favorably. Wow. See, now I've learned something from you today when, when it comes to Charlotte, because I've been here since 85. And now I've, it, it, you, you've planted a seed that I can share forward. Yes. 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 Well, please do. Please Absolutely. Do. Absolutely. Yes. For you to put this book together. I mean, this required a heart, a soul and some research. What what all did you did you put into it as, as a person as well as a player? Heart, soul, and research. That's very good. I'm not. I'm never going to forget that. That's that's because that's what I put into it. My partner and I, uh, uh, Charlie Rosen. Charlie Rosen is my partner. He's the guy that wrote the book on Phil Jackson, and I saw how great his book was on Phil Jackson. And he he implored me to do a book, and he got the deal. So he's my guy. Um, what we were trying to do was show the parallel in America from the inception of the NBA mm-hmm. and, and parallel how the NBA grew and then look at how America grew. And it started for me with, in 1960 with John Fitzgerald Kennedy, with JFK, because he made the pronouncements. He didn't do it. He talked about it, uh, making the uh, Negroes, he wanted his Negro brothers and sisters, he said in his speech, to be included in um, the growth of America, not to be excluded. And he Ooh. pronounced that. And then a chill went through me at 22 years old. But I was also at 22 years old, an NBA player. So I was hearing those other voices uh, in the NBA, and then looking at how the NBA grew to bring me into it as a fourth round draft pick in America. In America, that just meant everything to me. So all of these things were kind of shaping my life that I didn't know, but it was parallel. And my basic parallel to that was the Emmett Till murder in Mississippi, the 14-year-old kid that was murdered. And I was 16. And I sat there and thought, that could happen to me in America. And this happened. And it's this heinous crime has happened to this 14-year-old kid. And we know now the stories that happened with impunity. No one was punished. No one was punished for a murder. So all of those things are in my head as I'm sitting in locker rooms in the 60s and hearing about Medgar Evers and uh, Dr. King and Malcolm X being assassinated and the Kennedys being assassinated. All of that is in my in the mixture of my mind 
as I'm living in the turbulent 60s, as people are now dressing different, people mm-hmm. are growing their hair different, people are singing different, the music is different. And, you know, what I had made friends with Muhammad Ali, <laughs> I made friends with Aretha Franklin. You know, the blessings that I was getting on growing up in the in the uh, 60s. And, and again, it was a turbulent time that continued into the 70s. Yep. So there was like a 20-year movement there based on 60, you know, 1960 on John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Yeah. And you, you remind me so much of, of Jackie Robinson in the way that you still showed up to play the game. Even though all this was going on, you still put community first and you also put the game in there. Yes. Yes. Well, the, the game, the game is the game. That's yeah. the game. Once you establish that in your life, as you know, the game is how you live. You know what I mean? I, I got to be in shape. I got to make my jump shots. I got to, you know, I got to be cool. I got to dress cool. I got to respect people. Uh, I have to show up when I say I'm going to show up. I mean, it takes on a, a whole nother life and a whole nother discipline. But the game is the game. And that that shaped me. But it it also helped me with the thoughts that I was having. And that's, and I, you know, because you're never thoughtless. And so when you're sitting in the locker room and the guys are just palavering, you know, talking about history or movies or one thing and another, you, all of that comes into view and you can say, well, there's truth in that. And in that I read James Baldwin or I read Richard Wright or I read Ernest Hemingway or, you know, these, uh, these writers, I, I was a, a, a voracious reader and I love to read. And, um, it, it just meant a lot with that development of the, of the country and the development of the league. So when I started coaching and I was one of three coaches in the league, Al Adels, Lenny Wilkins and Ray Scott. And I look today if I sat in the locker room today, I could say there's 30 yeah. teams and 15 of those teams are coached by African-Americans. I call that progress. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As as coach, did you were you like Phil Jackson in the way of saying that that, you know, you, you've, you've got to put the spirit of your soul inside of this thing. And you've, you've got you can't just show up to play a basketball game, but you, there, there's a human being in there. Because I know that even talking with Del Curry, sitting down with him when he was with the Hornets, he, he would always talk about you got to think about what life is like on the outside of the court. Correct. That is that's exactly what we're talking about. You've got to think that way. And Phil, uh, no, I wouldn't put myself on an equality with Phil. I mean, the guy's got all those championship rings. And, <laughs> no, but but Phil, and I played against Phil. I competed against Phil. Um, wow. he's, he's, he was a good player. He's the same type of player as, as a person. Uh, but those, most guys, and think about this, most guys have college educations. So they are, they are taught to be discerning in their thought process. And it seems to me that's what makes it a better league. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. there is this, this, this kind of weaving of education throughout that league. And when I started, you had to be 21 or 22 to play in the league because you could only play when your college class graduated. That's right. So you had to have a nodding acquaintance with education. And I think as we're speaking, I'm thinking that made the NBA better. 
So now one, one of the things that, that I, cause I, I love to study the game off the, off the court in, in the uh-huh. way that I've, I've been with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar several times. And what is it about the players of the sixties and seventies where they have become such leaders with like, like I'll bring it up again, community, but th- th- there's more of a journey after the game than there was in the game. Because the cities that we went to for me in Detroit, I'm not a Detroiter. I'm a South Philly kid. I've lived in Detroit 60 years because when I came here, the Detroit community adopted me. When I came to Michigan, when I became a Detroit Piston, I was a number four player picked in the country, but I was coming from three years in the Eastern League, one year in college. And so I was not an All-American. I was an honorable mention All-American. But when I came here, no one knew who I was. Ray Scott landed in Detroit, Michigan in 1961, and nobody knew who he was. There were no lights turned on. And all of a sudden, this community said, well, we don't know him, but he seems to be a good kid, and we're going to wrap him in our embrace, and we're going to help him. And the way they made me feel in Detroit has never allowed me to leave. The other thing, I learned lessons in Detroit. I learned the lessons of the union. I was one of the biggest proponents of a union for the NBA other than Oscar Robertson. Oscar Robertson and Archie Clark and Walter Bellamy, we sat in a meeting with the owners of the NBA, and Oscar gave such a great presentation that in 1966, that by 1970, we were a certified players association. That was Oscar Robertson. And he put his neck on the line for that. And I thought that was so courageous that this guy would do that. This is, this is before the guys like Del Curry and those guys were benefiting in the NBA. It's because a guy like Oscar Robertson put his neck on the line. I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, you, you, you came from the days where, where basketball players were not getting paid the salaries that they are today. And, yeah. and look, at, look at what's growing now. And I've always wanted to know what was the original seed to that? Who, who was the one that went knocking on those doors? I think originally, I think it was Tommy Heinsohn and Bob Cousy in Boston, mm. as I recall. And I'll, I'll check on that, but I think it was those two guys. They originally went knocking, but the owners rejected it. But there were only mm. eight or nine owners. So the owners could be standing in a clutch right out of the players' meeting. You could hear the owners talking. You know, if one of my players is joining that union, he'll never play for me again. That was said. That was said. Those guys had the courage to try. But in 66, Oscar Robinson took it a step forward. He asked for a meeting with the owners. And they said, yes, we will meet with you, but you cannot bring your legal counsel. who was Larry Fleischer was not in the meeting it was only Oscar and that's what I'm saying it was only Oscar carrying the ball and you know we were sitting there like the pips you know we were all just right behind Oscar just backing him up in what he was saying but it was a great time in 1966 because Oscar started that dialogue so much so that the owner's uh, specifically Sam Schulman from the Seattle Supersonics, and uh, the other owner was Jack Kent Cook, who owned the Washington Redskins and the Los Angeles Lakers. He said that's one of the finest presentations I've heard. Wow. Very respectful and very dignified. Oscar was phenomenal. 
So in everything that you've seen, you've experienced, you've, you've, you've walked across many deserts, you've, you've taken on challenges. What is it like for you to see that a Michael Jordan is, is in charge of the Charlotte Hornets, but yet he's not winning the way that Michael Jordan did. He's learning to play the game from, from an owner's prospect, I mean, you know, perspective rather than being on that court. Well, that's, and that's another game. That's another book. You know, that, that, that's something futuristically we can look back at, but, but what, uh, what Michael is doing is he's paying his dues yeah. the same way that his brethren paid their dues at the inception of the NBA. So he's right at the beginning of something new, ownership. Yep. Don't you think that's great that we're having that discussion? <laughs> yeah, isn't that true? <laughs> now, one of, one of the things that I've, I found enjoyable about the book NBA in Black and White is the fact that, yes, you are 6'9", but the way that you share the story and the way that in hearing your story today, you're, you're looking at us in the eyes as a regular person. You're, you're not that 6'9 guy. You're down here with me at 5'11". At, at that's right. That's correct. That's correct. Because you are the guy... You are the person that gives me the impetus, the impetus to fight. See, if I don't get an open hand, that the America that I want will never happen. I want that America where when you and I meet, we're brothers because we're Americans. We yep. shake hands as Americans. We have disagreements. We can have differences of opinion. But when we shake hands, we're locked in as Americans. That's what I want to say. I want to see where we lock each other in, not as anything special, just as Americans. I don't play the Democrats, uh, Republican, uh, Republicans game. That's crazy because we have a constitution that says we're all equal under this law. Amen. 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 All right. So as a player, as a coach, as an author, historian, archaeologist of history, did Steph Curry's three point shot change the game of basketball? Absolutely. He's made the game television watchable. <laughs> Let me give you, in the early days, we were a spectator sport, as you know. Everybody was in the stands that wanted to see NBA basketball. By the mid-60s, because you wanted to see Cassie Russell and Bill Bradley, you kind of oh, turned yeah. to the Knicks and wanted to see the Knicks. By the end of the 70s, Everybody wanted to see basketball. Why? Because we had Irving Magic Johnson yep. <laughs> and Larry Bird. One in Boston, one in L.A., and the rest of the country in between. Wanting That was the birth of basketball. That's when everybody wanted to see professional basketball. Those two kids made that happen, and we have not taken a step back. But to come up to, to bring it up to Curry, the reason Curry won his last championship, and I love that little kid, number <laughs> the reason that they won the championship, not because he was shooting three-pointers. They won because he became a tiny archibald. Nobody could stop him from penetrating to the basket and making those two layups that he was making. He yep, yep. In, in that in that series, in my opinion, he became a true superstar. Yep, absolutely. You, this book, it's, it can't just stay a book. Are, are you working on a, a series that we're going to see on the History Channel or ESPN or anything like that? Because, I mean, you've got to have pictures and, 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 and interviews and things. I do have pictures. Uh, the interviews, I don't I think probably. But, you know, as an 80-year-old guy, I'm not going to find a lot of that stuff now. <laughs> it's buried. <laughs> 
But as a, a guy that just loves the game, I will follow the game and I'll do anything I can to help this game I love because that little brown ball saved my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, Coach, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Okay, well, you make the call, I'll answer. Excellent. You be brilliant today, okay? Oh, thank you. I'm doing my best.